I do know that we are in the midst of a civilization warping uh, crisis of public trust. Well, that's all. That's all we have to worry about. Nice. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's one reason. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the From Pacifica with Radio you. in Los Angeles, this is The Broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM, people-powered radio in Los Angeles. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 92.9 FM WLRI. On Maui, Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York on 102.9 FM WLPP. In Grand Rapids, Michigan on WPRR and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We're also heard streaming coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, the week is off like a shot. Um, the uh, Well, let me play this. Uh, Desi Doyen, do you have uh, Senator Ben Sass from uh, Nebraska, isn't he? Uh, yes. Ben Sass? Yes, Republican uh, of Nebraska. Republican from Nebraska was on Face the Nation on uh, uh, what is it Sunday S- on no on, on CBS yes, I was on trying CBS, to give them the uh, proper the credit nation, right with right. John Dickerson which uh, Donald Trump said he calls deface the nation uh, anyway uh, John Dickerson asked Ben Sass about the firing of James Comey and what to make of it now remember this is Ben Sass he's a Republican senator uh, here's his response Senator why do you think James Comey was fired I'm not sure how this president makes lots of decisions, so I I honestly don't know. But I do know that we are in the midst of a civilization warping uh, crisis of public trust. And we need to talk honestly about our institutions that need to be restored and need to have the ability for people in five and eight and ten years to trust these institutions. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, So he has no idea how this president makes decisions. And in fact, really... Nobody does. Yes, it has led to a civilization warping crisis of public trust, as Senator Sass uh, explains there. But uh, to to that end, to that end of this decision making process, if there is one in the White House, we will be joined shortly by our our friend David Roberts of Vox.com, who sort of unloaded on the madness of last week and the Comey firing with a tweet storm. I think it was on Thursday and an article on Friday on all of this that frankly puts all of Donald Trump's decisions uh, and and his behavior into stark perspective that actually makes a lot of sense for me because I still don't know 
And you know what? Any journalist who tells you they do know, uh, they don't know either. I, I don't know how to cover this presidency. I just I really don't. I keep trying every day to figure it out. But, um, well, in any event, we'll talk with David Roberts about that and whether his expl- explanation makes it any easier for folks like me, uh, for journalists to be able to cover what's going on in any way that actually makes sense. Well, that's another matter we'll also discuss with David. In the meantime, let's start with a bit of good news. Since I'm sure the week is all going to go downhill from here, some good news. The Supreme Court announced on Monday that it would not review an appeals court decision, a landmark uh, appeals court decision that had knocked down North Carolina's huge voter suppression law. Uh, This was knocked down last year in announcing that the court was going to uh, deny the petition to hear the case at the Supreme Court. Chief Justice John Roberts said that the case's uh, procedural complications, not the merits of the case itself, but the procedural complications is for now what has stopped that case from being heard at the Supreme Court. The state has a new Democratic governor who has tried to withdraw the appeal of that decision by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals last year, which had struck down uh, North Carolina's voter suppression law, calling it the uh, saying that it targeted African-American voters with nearly surgical precision. Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, said that given the blizzard of filings over who is and who is not authorized to seek review in this court under North Carolina law, it's important to recall our frequent admonition that the denial of a writ of certiori imports no expression of opinion upon the merits of the case. In other words, he's saying that because uh, it's unclear who has the right to appeal and who does not uh, this case, uh, we're just going to not hear it right now and leave the appellate court decision in place. Now, remember, they had a Republican governor last year in North Carolina. That Republican lost narrowly to a Democratic governor. Uh, And so when the decision was made by the appellate court striking down this law, the Republican governor said, well, we're going to appeal it to the Supreme Court. Then we got a new Democratic governor in North Carolina who told the Supreme Court, hey, we don't wish to appeal it. We're fine with the decision as it was. And also the uh, they also got a Democratic attorney general who said the same thing. And so we don't want to appeal it. So with all of that confusion, Supreme Court said, yeah, we're not going to touch this right now. That's essentially what happened. And uh, this is the first time that the Supreme Court has even considered looking at a case uh, dealing with voting rights since uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch was uh, installed on the bench in that stolen uh, seat on the Supreme Court. Uh, Last summer, the Fourth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals had ruled that that 2013 North Carolina law, which, among other things, requires photo ID restrictions. It also uh, cuts back to early voting. The court decided that it was racially discriminatory in its intent. In other words, they did it on purpose. They tried to keep African-Americans from voting. So it was not just racially discriminatory. It was purposely written that way. That after the the uh, trial court found that the North Carolina Republican lawmakers had asked for certain data on voting patterns around the state, and then they applied their restrictions to specifically and disproportionately affect black voters. Again, as the appellate court said, with surgical precision. 
The appeals court ruling last year had struck down five parts of that law, which we described here at the time uh, on on the broadcast and bradblog.com as the the mother of all voter suppression laws, the worst since the Jim Crow era. Five parts of the law that were struck down included its photo ID restriction, rolling back of early voting from 10 days to uh, to 10 days from 17 days. Though they shortened the early voting period, they eliminated same day registration. They eliminated pre-registration of some teenagers. For example, if you were 16 or 17 years old and you wanted to register to vote, if you would be 18 at the next election, you were allowed to register early. They tried to do away with that. Uh, they tried to do away with the uh, the counting of votes that are accidentally cast in the wrong precinct. All of that was struck down by the appellate court, and all of that will remain struck down at this point. So uh, that's some good news, at least for now. Uh, the justices are likely to uh, take up a more definitive position, as the New York Times uh, reports on uh, voting rights issues in the near future. The most uh, likely candidate uh, for a case to make it to the Supreme Court is believed to be the Texas lawsuit challenging that state's 2011 photo identification uh, restriction, which has been found over and over and over again to be discriminatory and purposely so. Most recently, just back in uh, April, a federal district judge ruled that the uh, Texas legislature had intentionally discriminated against black and Hispanic voters when it enacted the law. Meantime, in Wisconsin, where the appeals court allowed that state's law to stay in place during last year's election, we told you last week about how a new study found that as many as 200,000 voters may have been disenfranchised by that law in the presidential election last November. Well, this weekend, uh, AP featured a few of those voters. This, despite the uh, fascinating report, this uh, despite uh, State Senator Mary Lazich, uh, who was adamant back when the law was passed in Wisconsin about three years ago, uh, saying that the bill that Republicans were about to push through the Wisconsin State Senate, Senate requiring that uh, voters present ID at the polls, very specific types of ID, that she said it would do no harm. She said not a single voter in this state will be disenfranchised by the law. She promised that. Five years later, okay, that was five years we've been fighting this, in the first presidential election held under the new law, Gladys Harris who the AP interviewed, uh, pr proved her very wrong. And uh, just to give you an idea of what ha what she did, she had law Gladys Harris. Um, she is one of the uh, perhaps tens, if not hundreds of thousands of voters who were unable to vote in Wisconsin last year. In Wisconsin, which Donald Trump won reportedly by about 20,000 votes. You had as many as 200,000 who weren't able to vote at all because of this ID restriction. We don't know how many for certain, but that uh, study that came out last week pegged it at around 200,000. But AP said it's not hard to find the Navy veteran whose out-of-state driver's license did not suffice or the dying woman whose license had expired or the, the recent graduate whose student ID was deficient or Harris. Uh, Gladys Harris, who at 66 years old, they say, made her way to the polling place despite chronic lung disease 
and a torn ligament in her knee. She had uh, she had lost her driver's license just before Election Day. She couldn't find it, but she was aware of the new law. So she brought her Social Security card, Medicare cards, a county issued bus pass that also displayed her photo. None of that. None of that was good enough. She had to cast a provisional ballot that ended up not being counted. Here's a little bit of AP's interview with uh, Gladys Harris. I had enough um, stuff with my name and picture on it. I had my social security card, my to-go pass. I had my uh, United Healthcare. I had my red, white, and blue card, and I had my Ford card. And that still wasn't enough to vote. And I vote every year, every election. I never miss any. And they could have looked that up and still allowed me to vote. So in my condition, I wasn't able to do all of what was asked to do in order to vote. It made me feel sad because it felt like my vote would have counted. Well, it would have counted uh, had she been able to uh, somehow get an ID and get back to the uh, county elections office with it within three days because Wisconsin, under the current law, under the current law, which several courts had also found to be racially racially discriminatory, but the appellate court allowed it to move forward anyway, making false claims about it. Um, had she been able to get back to somehow find get a new ID and get back within three days, then maybe her vote would have counted. Instead, uh, Wisconsin's 10 electoral college votes ended up going to Donald Trump with just that 22,000 vote margin. But the fight continues in Wisconsin, and uh, Gladys Harris is not the only one who got screwed over by that law last year. AP describes Sean Reynolds, who went to his polling place at a local ice skating rink on Election Day, showed his valid driver's license, but he wasn't able to vote either. The problem? That valid driver's license was not issued in Wisconsin. Reynolds, who was 30 years old, was uh, taken aback. He had moved to Madison, Wisconsin in 2015 to find work after leaving the Navy and receiving his associate's degree from a university in neighboring Illinois. After learning he could register to vote on Election Day in Wisconsin, he thought all he needed to do was show uh, ID at the polls. And he had a current photo ID, an Illinois ID. But that was uh, that was good enough, he says, to board an airplane, to open a checking account, to purchase cold medicine. All of the things that the defenders of these horrific laws, um, uh, you know, pretend you need an I.D. to do. And no, just FYI, you don't need an I.D. to board a plane. Not a photo I.D. They'll look you up in another way if you don't have a photo I.D. It makes your life easier, but you don't need one. You don't need one to purchase cold medicine. I can send Desi Doyen to buy cold medicine for me. Buying cold medicine, you know, down there she can use her ID if she wants. Uh, uh, buying right. cold medicine is not a is not a right. It's a it's a privilege. Getting on a plane is not a right. It's a privilege. Voting is a right. But it's being taken away from these people under the pretend guise that there is voter fraud that needs to be stopped, and that the, these laws are are meant to stop that. They are not. They're meant to keep people like Gladys Harris and Sean Reynolds from being able to cast a vote. Reynolds said coming home and being denied the right to vote because I didn't have a specific driver's license is frustrating. 
Reynolds had served in both Iraq and Afghanistan, providing support for special forces. But he wasn't allowed to vote. He said he had been working 50 hour weeks, receiving hourly pay. He could not afford to take time off from his job in security management to visit a local DMV in order to get one of the so-called free IDs that they'll give you in uh, Wisconsin if you jump through the right hoops. So he wasn't able to get to a a local DMV uh, to, to do that or to transfer his license from Illinois to Wisconsin. He was forced to cast a provisional ballot. He was told to return within three days with a Wisconsin driver's license, but he couldn't take the time off from work on such short notice. He said, I only had between Tuesday and Friday to get it done, and I just couldn't accomplish it in that time frame. He's also not the only one. Alvin Mueller retired from his job as a maintenance worker. His wife, Margie, quit driving and let her license expire back in 2010. His wife, Margie, is 85 years old. The couple never had trouble voting in the town of Plymouth, small city uh, north of Milwaukee, where they've lived since they've married 65 years ago. But during early voting last November, because Margie couldn't cast a ballot with her expired license, they ran into a problem. Again, she's 85 years old. She let the license expire because she doesn't drive anymore. The staff at the city clerk's office told her that if she wanted to vote, she could go get a new ID at the DMV office in Sheboygan, which is the county seat. Uh, Her husband, uh, Alvin, said that uh, his wife was battling cancer in her lymph nodes and lungs. The prospect of making a trip to Sheboygan was overwhelming for her. So not only did they not make the drive, Alan decided uh, Alvin decided that if his wife couldn't vote, he wouldn't do so either. He said, it's not like they were strangers to the poll workers. We voted in Plymouth here for years. They know us. Marge ended up dying on March 19. Neither of them cast a vote last year. And it's not just the elderly and the African-Americans who are being uh, uh, who are having their rights taken from them. Caitlin Tyndall brought the things that she uh, brought the things with her when she went to her precinct on Election Day, her Ohio ID, copies of her lease and utility bill, her student ID or student ID from the Milwaukee Institute of Art and Design. Tyndall is only 24 years old. She had graduated in May, but wasn't sure whether she would stay in Wisconsin. So she hung on to her Ohio ID. Her student ID had her name on it, a photo of her, a barcode, a school logo, and and her most recent academic year that she had attended the school. But her student ID didn't have an expiration date. It didn't say when it was issued. So she was forced also to cast a provisional ballot because of the way the Republicans purposely wrote the rule to keep people like Caitlin Tyndall from being able to participate in their democracy. She had to cast a provisional ballot. She didn't have a car, so she took an Uber to the DMV to get an ID. But she was told that the ID would arrive by express mail the next day. And by then, she said her work schedule at Starbucks had prevented her from going to the local clerk's office with the ID. So her vote did not count. She would have had to make three trips to cast a single vote under this law and take off uh, days from work, hours from work. Overall, nearly three million people in Wisconsin voted last November, but that's about 91,000 fewer than had voted in 2012. In Milwaukee, where a lot of Democrats vote, 
uh, they reported some 41,000 fewer people voted there than than did back in 2012. Gladys Harris believes that the uh, state law did what it was supposed to do to prevent blacks like her from uh, who don't have a car, who rely on public transportation from being able to vote. She was distraught when she was told that her vote would not count unless she went to the local DMV office for the replacement card and then return to a local election office with it. And she just could not do it, battling cancer, battling problems with her knees. Oh, and by the way, a few days after the election, she found her driver's license. It had fallen between her mattress and her headboard. But by then it was too late for her, but it worked out great for Donald Trump. And all of this comes at the same time that Donald Trump, remember, just last week signed an executive order establishing a so-called Election Integrity Commission to be led by Mike Pence, who, as I detailed on our previous show, had himself helped block tens of thousands of voter registrations in Indiana when he was governor last year with phony claims of voter fraud and sicking his state police uh, on, on a group who had been registering thousands of African-American voters uh, in Indiana. He claimed uh, this phony guise of voter fraud last year when he was still the governor. And all because Donald Trump, this commission, all because Donald Trump can't deal with the fact that he lost the popular vote by some three million votes. And because he can't deal with that, he has convinced himself that he must have lost because of all of this voter fraud. And we all have to play along as if this voter fraud commission being headed up by Pence and by the nation's top Republican voter fraud fraudster, Chris Kobach, the Kansas Secretary of State, we all have to pretend that it's legitimate, but it isn't. And journalists should not cover it as if it's legitimate. But frankly, we're at a point right now where pretty much nothing this president does is legitimate anymore. So what do we do now? How do journalists like me continue to cover him since, frankly, we have no choice? He's still the president. Well, we'll talk about that. Maybe get some uh, some advice on this from our friend David Roberts of Vox.com. That's coming up next. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Don't go away. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Yep. 
Playing those mind games again here on the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Welcome back to it. Last week, the nation was thrust into the convulsions of the firing of uh, FBI Director James Comey and the Trump administration's ever-shifting explanations for it. Well, uh, actually, the administration itself, I think, gave one reason. It was the completely implausible explanation that the firing was based on the recommendation from Attorney General Jeff Sessions and Deputy AG Rod Rosenstein, citing the way that James Comey had handled the Hillary Clinton email investigation last year, specifically citing the poor treatment that Clinton gave, uh, that Clinton received, I should say, from James Comey when Comey opened, closed, and then reopened, and then closed the investigation in the days leading up to the presidential election. As that, of course, was ridiculously implausible, Trump himself then began offering differing explanations, claiming that he was going to fire Comey anyway, no matter the recommendation from the DOJ, and that it was because he believed the Trump-Russia investigation to be based on fake news, etc., etc. And then we had the additional explanation from Trump that he had asked Comey whether he was being investigated and Trump claimed that he was told three times by Comey in a private dinner and then later twice via telephone conversation that he was not being investigated. But of course, who has any idea if any of any of that is true in any way? Because of the constant lying of the Trump uh, administration, It's become virtually impossible for journalists, at least journalists like me, to figure out how the hell to cover any of this in a way that makes any sense at all. It's a problem that I've had at least since the inauguration and in truth uh, long prior to that. As our friend uh, and occasional guest, uh, usually in regard to health care legislation here, uh, tweeted last week, Jackie Schechner Uh, She said, where are we as a country when we know for sure we're being lied to by the president and his spokespeople on a daily basis about everything? That same topic of conversation came up on uh, on All In with Chris Hayes last week as well, when Steve Schmidt, the Republican presidential uh, uh, candidate, uh, John McCain's former campaign chief, Steve Schmidt, Uh, He spoke to the madness of what is going on here with the systemic nonstop lying by by Trump and his White House. Here's here's a bit of that conversation. I am not crazy that the there's a difference in the treatment of the truth uh, by this White House than others. And I say that knowing that all politicians obfuscate, spin, sometimes deceive and lie. This seems like just a completely different planet. No doubt, Chris. Look, every person who's had the experience in their careers of being a spokesperson for the president of the United States, uh, being a spokesperson from the North Lawn to the White House, uh, talking to the American people, we've all done our fair amount of tap dancing, but you have never seen the systemic nonstop lying, the nonstop prevaricating by every single person in this administration, with a few exceptions, but including the president, the vice president, and all of the political spokespeople who have taken an oath, are commissioned officers, and every day they foul that oath with the non-stop hmm. lying. And you put the lying on top of the sheer political incompetence, 
Uh, it's very, very worrisome. The, the, the democratic societies, democratic countries, are built on a foundation of truth. Autocratic societies are built on a premise that the leader decides what is true by virtue of what he believes or what he feels. And we've seen that from the crowd yeah. sizes to the well, millions of people the, who he claimed voted illegally to this latest absurdity well, that we've seen play out over the last 72 hours. Those and so, and that was uh, Steve Schmidt, Republican uh, spokesperson for John McCain, actually, at uh, years ago, not the spokesperson, the campaign chair uh, on uh, All In with Chris Hayes on MSNBC. And it is that which makes all of this so freaking difficult to cover, to cover what is actually going on now, because it's all lies, nonstop, lying on top of sheer incompetence, as uh, Schmidt described it. And now on top of that today, as Politico reports, the president's staff attempts to sway his opinion by strategically passing along articles that play to his ego and deep paranoia, even if they're fake, according to the Politico report. The uh, the outlet cites a half dozen White House officials and others with direct interactions with the president who described the consequences of Trump's unusually porous Oval Office. Politico cited four instances of individuals close to the president offering reading material to further their own agenda. And two of those four instances included fake or unproven claims. In in one, for example, Deputy National Security Advisor K.T. McFarland gave Trump an image showing two Time magazine covers, a recent one about global warming and one from the 1970s warning of a coming ice age. That latter cover, of course, as it turns out, is a hoax. It was an Internet hoax. It was made to look like Times was warning about the coming ice age. But Politico reported Trump got lathered up about the media's hypocrisy when he saw those two covers. Writing at Vox.com late Friday, trying to make sense of all of this, was David Roberts, who cited a psychological study which lists nine symptoms of narcissistic personality disorder. Just to read them very quickly, uh, bullet pointed here. Um, a person has narcissistic personality disorder when they meet five or more of the following symptoms, when they have a grandiose sense of self-importance, uh, is preoccupied with fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love, when he or she believes that uh, he or she is special and unique, uh, when he requires excessive admiration, when he has a very strong sense of entitlement, when he is exploitive, exploitative of others, when he lacks sympathy, when he is often uh, envious of others, or when he regularly shows arrogant, haughty behaviors or attitudes. This study goes on to note that uh, of those nine symptoms, in order for a person to be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, they only have to meet five or more of those symptoms. Roberts observes that all nine of those symptoms describes uh, Trump's public behavior with eerie accuracy. They sure do. And yet journalists and the American public continue to seek rhyme or reason behind what Trump is doing, the choices that he makes, the policies he's rolling out. 
Roberts asks rhetorically, why did Donald Trump fire FBI Director James Comey so abruptly in such humiliating fashion with no plan to communicate the reasoning behind the move and no list of replacements ready to go? The thing is, writes Roberts, the answer is pretty obvious. The implications are terrifying, but the motivations are not complicated. Here to explain those not complicated motivations that he discussed not only in an article at Vox.com, but also in a 40-tweet tweet storm <laughs> late last week, uh, is David Roberts, uh, our friend from Vox.com, who focuses on politics, climate, and energy, and the confluence thereof over at Vox.com. He also reads a lot of studies, including apparently psychological studies, which is where we pick things up with him today. David Roberts, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hey, Brad, how's it going? Oh, you know, hanging in there, <laughs> trying to make sense of it. It's uh, And I, I see you're having uh, some of the same problems that I am trying to make sense of it. But before we discuss what may or may not be motivating Trump uh, in, in the grand scheme, and it, whether it's in regard to Comey or anything else, you write in both your tweet storm and your article about theory of mind. And this entire theory that you spelled out, David, for me at least, is the best explanation of Trump's behavior and, frankly, why it's so damn difficult to cover, much less make sense of. So explain what theory of mind means, and then we can discuss how it uh, applies to Trump here. Sure. It's, it's a term from <coughs> psychology, and it mostly uh, originates in child psychology. It's basically uh, a developmental stage that happens to human beings around the age of two or three, although there's some <coughs> dispute about exactly when. Mm -hmm. But basically it's the point at which children, instead of seeing other people in their actions as just uh, external forces that affect them, mm -hmm. they start to recognize that other people's behaviors and actions are indicators of internal states. They, they have their own desires, their own goals, in other words, that other people have minds of their own, basically. <clears throat> and it's a very simple, um, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't mean it, it, it's nothing particularly complicated or novel in psychology, it's just something that all children uh, develop, but the problem is that as we get older, we get more sophisticated in sort of applying these theories mm -hmm. and, <clears throat> about what people's actions and behaviors say about their minds, sort of a theory of other people's minds based on their behavior and action. It's something we do every day, constantly, uh, uh, you know, without trying. The problem is it sort of misleads us <clears throat> when it comes to Trump because, you know, for, for a variety of reasons, but just the most basic one being we have this, this hunger for pattern, for pattern-seeking. Mm -hmm. so, and, and we have this, you know, these, this theory of mind that we've, been, that we've been developing and honing our whole lives so when we see uh, his actions and behaviors, we inevitably want to construct some sort of theory about what kind of person does and says those things, <laughs> you know, so, making sense of it, like you say, sort of constructing a theory of Trump that will make sense of the behaviors and actions, that sort of theory of mind at work. So we see the him... Point of the, we, yeah, we, the whole point of the, the tweet storm and yeah. the piece is just that it, 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 it fails us. It, well, it fails us because we, we try to look at a decision that he's made. We try to, a lot of people, a lot of journalists and just, you know, people in general say, oh, he's doing this 
because he's just trying to distract from that. Or he's doing this because he needs to get this in place for Paul Ryan to be able to accomplish that, whatever it is. You're you're saying all of that thinking fails here when it comes to Donald Trump? Yeah, I mean, from all indications, (coughs) Trump has, um, you know, I guess whether you call it a disorder or not is is controversial in psychology, but there's clearly something wrong with the dude, right? (laughs) And and from all indications, he just doesn't have those beliefs (laughs) and commitments that carry over from situation to situation. Like, by all indications, on the surface, Mm -hmm. what he's doing is Every situation is new. He gropes around for what makes him feel powerful or in charge and then sort of lunges at that, you know, with no thought of commitments that came before or, or consequences that might come after or how it relates to other things he's said or other people he's committed to or, or, or anything, really. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's sort of uh, comparing to a goldfish in the... Uh, in the tweet storm is just sort of, you know, every situation is new, every day is new, and he's just this sort of bundle of impulses. And what we're doing is writing a complicated story on what is, in fact, an extremely simple and obvious text. You know, we do that for a lot of reasons. One is this sort of natural, like we were just talking about, our sort of natural pattern-seeking, this natural desire to discover a mind <laughs> behind right. the actions. But also, Be- on top because, of that, because David, uh, on top of yeah. that, we are absolutely unprepared to encounter someone with this kind of dysfunction in a central position of power in the United States. We've never encountered it before, so we don't have any language or even really mental construct for it. We just are, are accepting what it really is, accepting that it is what it looks like, is so profoundly disturbing on so many levels Mm -hmm. that I think there's a powerful will to deny it, to try to find something more complicated going on. In other words, we sort of try to apply our own uh, theory of mind to what Trump is doing, because if we were doing something like that, we would have a reason for it. Yes, and most people, this is is what I'm saying, most, like, the average adult human would have reasons, right? I mean, this is, Trump is extremely unusual, so normal people just aren't used to dealing with people like this. Like, if you talk to people, survivors of, of people who have had relationships with uh, others who have narcissistic personality disorder, either as parents or as bosses or coworkers, they get it just fine. Like, I've had dozens of them tweeting and emailing me since I wrote this saying, oh, you know, what you're describing is, I absolutely get that. Like, I've been through that, and, and, and you're right that the attempt to find some sort of rational order behind it all is futile and will only drive you mad. The only thing to do is get away. It, it, it does, yeah. It does drive me mad. In the tweet storm, here's a, a few of those tweets. You say, Trump, by all indications, does not have beliefs, intentions, etc., that are stable, persistent across context. Uh, he is attuned to who is dominating and who is submissive in the situation that he finds himself in. In that moment, he said, you write, it is 100 percent situational, zero percent persistence. He seeks domination. That's all. Doesn't care about or even seem cognizant of lying, reversing himself, switching loyalties, etc. He is like a goldfish. No beliefs, intentions, plans or schemes are carried from place to place. Every situation is new. There is, in a very real sense, no mind as such, only a set of animal impulses. 
seek approbation, avoid blame, dominate, win. Um, well, first off, uh, David, I, I think your argument is quite unfair to goldfishes. I've, I've had that response several yes. times, too. Uh, I've, been, I've been linked now to three or four separate <laughs> articles about how goldfish are way smarter than we think. Yes, I think that was uh, terribly cruel, and you, you, owe, you owe some goldfish an apology. Also, uh, defenders of, of six-year-olds. Oh, have yeah. come out of the woodwork saying that I've insulted six-year-olds. Yes, I think you have. Uh, but but you're saying there's really nothing more. There's n- nothing more, anything uh, to, to more to what Trump is doing other than what strikes him in any particular moment, period. End of analysis. Yes, in, in the article you were just uh, quoting bef- mm-hmm. in the intro that came out today, which is, by the way, just jaw-dropping. I, I, I really yep. encourage everyone to read it. Yep. But, you, you know, it's not that... He'll have an opinion on an issue based on the last thing he saw. Literally, that appears to be the rule here. So, so uh, imagine, I mean, <clears throat> one of the points I make in the piece is it's all fun and games when he's just basically creating crises mm-hmm. for himself, right. right? Which the consequences of, of which will mostly face him and his administration, like this Comey firing thing and the mm-hmm. Russia thing, all this. Like it's a it's a it's a it's a clown show, but the consequences are mostly going to face Trump and his administration. But but every president, sooner or later, usually sooner, faces some sort of exogenous threat, some sort of crisis imposed on them from the outside. Now imagine if there's a if there's a um, a, a viral outbreak, you know, mm-hmm. or, or imagine if if North Korea really tries to provoke him or really pushes him. Mm-hmm. Or, or you can imagine any number of things. Is he going to, you know, even his allies, even the people in his administration have to be thinking, do I know what he's going to do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Like, what he's going to do in that situation will depend on who spoke to him most recently before he's in that situation. And now, do you want to bet the country's future? Do you want to bet the lives of hundreds of thousands of people on Trump talking just to the right person or reading the right one-page memo immediately before he makes a decision. Like, that's like rolling, you know, it's like rolling dice with, with, with lives over and over and over again for four years. Like, I, this is one of the reasons it's so hard to internalize, right. I think, is that the implications are just horrifying you're right i mean uh, because i keep looking for something to, to to make sense of it it can't be what it seems uh but I, but i should note uh, stephen colbert by the way i don't know if you saw this he he came up with a pretty much a, uh the exact same theory that you did he put it in a different way or you got that the clip does yeah go ahead play that the question is why did trump do it now while it looks like donald trump fired james comey to stop the russian investigation that is why because I'm pretty confident because one thing we've learned from the last two years of Donald Trump is that what it seems like he's doing is exactly what he's doing. There's no grand strategy. He's not, he's not, he's not some puppet master. He's not some wizard playing three-dimensional chess. He's playing hungry, hungry hippos. He's just slapping till he gets all the marbles. Mine, 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 mine. There's nothing deeper going on. He's a baby pool. You could not get your ankles wet in Donald Trump. 
That sounds like about what you're saying, David Roberts. Yeah, way, way, way funnier, but, but, but it's exactly the same. And, and you notice, one thing to notice is yeah. the audience's reaction, this uproarious applause, which was echoed in this sort of extraordinary reaction I got to this tweet storm, which I totally did not expect. And I think this shows that people out there get this on some level and are just have been waiting to hear it validated, mm-hmm. right? They just keep hearing journalists spin these elaborate theories about about Trump's plans and, and his maneuvers and mm-hmm. his manipulations of this and that. And I think they get on some level that it's all BS, that it's all what it looks like. And, and, they, and when they hear someone in a position, you know, in journalism mm-hmm. or, or in a position of, of, of power or, you know, echo this, validate this they are thrilled because they get it right you just have to watch him you don't have to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist you just have to watch him the problem is that journalists and pundits have just been trained for decades to see the world through the lens of this kind of maneuvering and this kind of sort of machiavellian back and forth and, and they don't have a language or a conceptual frame for a man-child who has stumbled accidentally into the office and is just flailing around. They just don't have a way to talk about that. And not just pundits and politicians. I think just as human beings, we look at other people and we try to sense why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, you write, in again, in that tweet storm, the most likely explanation for Comey is not some Machiavellian tactic, but he kept seeing Comey on TV saying not awesome things. That gave him bad feels, made him feel non-dominant, so he made Comey get off his TV. Uh, yeah. no, no grander strategy than that. Uh, I think, and and you're going to see more of this coming soon. You know, there's always rumors bouncing around now about about him contemplating some big shakeup in his administration. Because, of course, for yeah. for a, for an extreme narcissist, mm-hmm. it is it is unthinkable, and not unthinkable in like would be bad to think, but literally unthinkable that they are losing or that they have lost in any situation or that they are in any way dominated or in any way, you know, got the short end of the stick. They just cannot conceive of that. So if things are going bad for Trump <clears throat> and the way he measures bad is what people are saying on cable news shows, that's literally the way he, that's, that is his thermometer. Right. If people are saying bad things on cable news about him, it must be somebody else's fault, and it's what must be the people who are working for him's fault. And that's why he got rid of Comey, and that's why he's thinking about getting rid of Spicer, and that's probably why, you know, if he hangs in there for four years, this is going to be unending, because Trump cannot contemplate the fact that he's doing anything wrong, and so everything negative said about him must be, i.e., some grand conspiracy of his enemies, or, or a failure of loyalty among his staff. That is how he has behaved in his business career his entire life. There's just no reason to think it's going to change now. And it's just absolutely twisted. You, uh, you cite your colleague over at Vox, uh, uh, Matt Iglesias, um, who says that uh, Trump lies all the time. We were talking about the series of lies and trying to figure that. Uh, he says uh, t- Trump lies all the time. It's certainly true that he says false things all the time, but even to say lie... 
seems to suggest a certain self-awareness, an ability to distinguish performance from reality that Trump shows no sign of possessing. So does Trump even know at this point that he he's lying when he goes well, out? And- I, I think about it. What does a lie mean? I say something when I know inside my head mm-hmm. that it's false. Even sort of conceiving of that involves me taking a step back out of myself, viewing the fact itself as an objective thing that lives outside me, <laughs> viewing my performance right. as, as a deliberate deception, right? There's right. sort of meta layers there. We don't really notice them because it's so routine for most people, but it, that requires some ability to step back and take perspective. And Trump, I just don't see any sign that Trump is capable of even that basic thing. I don't think he is really cognizant of truth as an objective thing that somehow restrains Jesus. him or that's outside him, yeah. right? He, he, uh, this is another classic uh, trait of extreme narcissists. Is they all, they're, very, <clears throat> they're very able to spin up these elaborate fantasy worlds in which they're always winning. That's what their ego requires, is that they always be winning. And no one is always winning, right? So if you have to always think that, inevitably you're gonna, it's going to involve a, a lot of fantasy and self-deception. So, and, that's what, and that's what you see with Trump. With almost every time he talks, like, he, he, you know, he lost the, the popular vote. Mm-hmm. That is literally unthinkable to right. Trump. It is, it, that fact mm-hmm. has, cannot find a place in Trump's brain. So Trump had to, just from self-preservation, had to come up with a reality in which he hadn't really lost it, right? So that's mm-hmm. what he came up with, illegal votes. And this is a classic example, Brad, of what I'm talking about. He comes up with this theory. There's all these, you know, there's millions of illegal votes. Mm-hmm. And so, like, this army of sort of earnest fact-checkers goes out looking around, hmm, we're not seeing this evidence. You know, they're right. talking to experts, and they're making calls, and they're reviewing voter rolls and everything. And, like, the whole thing is just as though evidence were the source of Trump's claim, you know, when it is exactly what it looks like. He can't accept that he lost, so his brain makes up a fantasy in which he won. There's nothing more to it. You're right. He, he didn't even say, oh, I probably won if you took away all of the illegal vote. He said, I won the popular vote if you don't count all the illegal vote. I mean, he just asserted that he won. So, David Roberts, how does... Uh, well, I, I, never mind how the psychological liter- literature talks about how to deal with narcissists. How do you and I, folks like you and I, uh, how ought, how well, ought we cover this president from a journalistic this, this standpoint? Is, this is, I mean, these are good questions. Like uh, again, I heard from all these people who have who have survived relationships with narcissists. You know, people with narcissistic personality disorder, mm-hmm. and a lot of and a lot of you know feedback and, and emails from psychiatrists. Too. And one of the things the psychiatrists say is this is one of the most impo- this is one of the most difficult um, uh, disorders, even to diagnose, much less to treat, because mm-hmm. the narcissist, by definition, cannot admit that there's anything wrong with them. So they cannot go seeking help. They cannot even admit that they need help. Right. So and and everybody who's been in a relationship with one of these kind of people told me the exact same thing attempts to make sense of it or to change it in any way or to accommodate it 
are going to drive you mad and never succeed. The only thing to do is get away. That's what everybody said. Get away. Just get away. There's no, there's no winning here. But, but now, we can't. of course, Brad, yes. we're stuck. Yes. <laughs> we're stuck in a room with this guy, right? Yeah. Because he's the president of our friggin' country. So we can't just get away. But I think, at the very least, journalists and politicians and ordinary citizens need to internalize the very, very, very disturbing fact that we more or less accidentally and through a bunch of really stupid reasons and blame, you know, there's plenty of blame to spread around, but we more or less accidentally elected a man-child and the only thing to focus on now is removing him or containing him. There is no pivot possible. There's no pivot coming there's no sanity. There's no set of advisors that could tame him. There's no, you know, it doesn't matter how much golf he plays. There's nothing that any of us can do to make him different. He's 70 years old, and he's had this his entire life. He's not going to change. So we need to have a serious conversation about how to contain the damage that a president can do. We just need to stop pretending that he's a normal president, right? And that's really hard for journalists. Yeah, well, it, it is because we want to make sense of things. And on that note, uh, as I have to uh, get out here, David Roberts, uh, w- with all of this in mind, uh, g- getting a bit closer to the uh, subject matter you more often tend to write about, uh, what are we uh, to make at this point? Again, if anything, uh, about the White House announcement last week that they're delaying their decision about whether or not to drop out of the landmark U.N. Paris Climate Agreement to curb greenhouse gases across the globe can we can we take any and i guess this is me doing it again trying to make sense of it but can can we take anything from the from the delay what does it mean and uh well i think here's here, here's the distinction we can't yeah. make anything out of trump uh-huh. right there's no analyzing trump right uh, and ultimately probably what decision trump makes on paris will come down to who he talks to before decision time. Right? Right. I mean, it will literally come down to the last thing he read. But we can analyze his advisors, right? I mean, one of the, one of the consequences of having a man-child as the chief executive is that it all of a sudden matters even more than usual who's around him, right? Because mm-hmm. they're shaping, he's very manipulable, and they're all around him trying to manipulate him. So it matters what they think. So I think the delay is a good sign. Ultimately, there's so many people who have some contact with reality, who have some, who have reasons for wanting to stay in Paris. And there's, and, and like I wrote on the site the other day, there's just no good reason at all to withdraw, even if you're, even if you're Trump and you don't want to do anything about climate change. There's still no reason to withdraw from Paris. You can just stay in it and do nothing. There's nothing stopping you from doing that. So yeah. I think ultimately he'll have more people wanting to stay in talking to him. And Ivanka and Jared will somehow arrange it so that those people surround him at just the right moment before he goes out and makes an announcement. <laughs> that's, the positive, that's the positive scenario here, is that Jared and Ivanka arrange his environment such as to ensure a positive decision. In Jesus case. Christ. And, and there was, by the way, and I, I, I took some comfort along those lines in the fact that they're saying, I guess, that he's going to wait until after the G7 summit meeting to make his final decision, which means he will, at that summit, I suspect, or at least I hope, be surrounded with a whole bunch of 
oh, yeah. you know, presidents and prime ministers who would hopefully explain why it's important for the U.S. to say to stay in and, that. And agreement. Trump and Trump worships status, right? That's yeah. literally that's all he cares about is who's up and who's down. So he's very impressed by important, powerful people, right? So if if a bunch of important, powerful people surround him and tell him that Paris is important, he'll probably buy it. Like like I said, there's no. There's no there there to push the other way, right? So yep. if they push him that way, he'll probably drift that way. The key is just to, the key for Ivanka, Ivanka, if you're listening, the key is get the right people around him, sway him the right direction, and then boom, have him make a decision right then, right? Because yeah. you can't guarantee that 24 hours later, he might not have talked to somebody else and changed his mind in a, in a different direction. So the key is to to get him to make the decision right when you've got him, you know, where you want him. God, what a nightmare. Uh, David Roberts, uh, check out his work as ever at Vox.com. Uh, his article, We Overanalyze Trump. He is what he appears to be. And you should follow him on the Twitters at drvox, uh, just in case another uh, late-night tweet storm breaks out from <laughs> David's head at any time. Hey, David, uh, always great talking to my friend. Uh, I, I suspect we'll do it again soon. All right. Thanks a lot, Brad. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I screwed up on timing. Quick break, and we're back with our closing minutes. On the Bradcast, I'm Brad Friedman. Don't go away. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As I was speaking with David Roberts, there are some uh, breaking news from Washington Post charging that Donald Trump revealed highly classified information to Russian foreign minister and ambassador. Oh, God, really? That's what they claim uh, when they met last week in the Oval Office. Now, um, scanning down this here, H.R. McMaster, the um, the national security advisor who took Michael Flynn's place, uh, seems to dispute that charge. Um, so we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to dig into this more. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, Des, since this came up while I was speaking with David Roberts, this phony cover. Have you ever seen this phony cover of Time: How to Survive the Coming Ice Age, which was supposedly from 1977? No, I haven't seen the that false was, cover, but I do yeah. know that the that that's a myth that yeah. there was some prevailing scientific notion that was spread by the media, and that's something that is a favorite myth for deniers to bring up, and it is totally not true. It was actually from a uh, 2007 cover called the Global Warming Survivor Guide, Survival Guide. They changed it to How to Survive the Coming ice age and they change stuff on the cover it's a convincing photoshop uh for example where it says uh, the sopranos last song what exit will tony take they were talking about the final episode of the sopranos that got changed to mash what exit will frank burns take my goodness so they actually changed each and every piece uh to make it uh, a phony and KT McFarland, who is being moved out of her job from the National Security uh, Council, uh, being sent overseas, I think, to become the ambassador to Singapore, she showed this to the president as evidence of how hypocritical 
the uh, the media is when it comes to uh, global warming with the 70s how to survive an ice age and now be worried be very worried about global warming and it was a hoax this is what is going on at the highest level of government in our white house and this is the kind of thing that donald trump is basing his uh, decisions on just amazing all right got to get out thanks to our producer desi doyan to my guest david roberts of vox.com and if you like you can drop me an email i'm bradcast at bradblog.com and on the facebooks and the twitters share us far and wide where i am simply the brad blog that's it until we meet again i'm brad friedman good luck world